Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Performance Anxiety. I am your host, Mark Shea. We talked to Rebecca Turner this week. She's bounced around the country, met some great people, and turned those experiences into a new album with an old soul. She's pretty open about her performance anxiety and some of the difficulties of being an indie artist. Give her a follow on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Merch is at performanceanx.threadless.com. Subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word. And here is Rebecca Turner. Hi, my name is Rebecca Turner. I am a singer-songwriter from Maplewood, New Jersey. I grew up in Los Angeles, and then I moved to New York, where I guess I would have my second, say I had my second growing up. Um, and I am about to come out with my third full-length record. It's called The New Wrong Way. And... It's a collection of songs about um, getting older and loving music and New Jersey and my friends and my family. And I think it came out pretty good. So um, I hope you check it out. And thanks so much to Mark and Performance Anxiety for having me. For having me. This is a lovely, lovely, lovely podcast, and I'm really happy to be a part of it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. You're out of Maplewood, New Jersey. That's right. Oh, that's awesome. I used to live in New Jersey for about 13 years. Yo, you used to live in New Jersey, but you don't anymore. I do not. I live a little outside of D.C. in Winchester, Virginia right now. Oh, so you appreciate New Jersey, though. I do. You know, I, I like New Jersey. If you take away, you know, the, the insane taxes and stuff, I, I, New Jersey would be amazing. Yeah, so. it's interesting. I mean, it's an interesting place. It's some, in some ways more interesting than New York at this point, I think. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you're from New York and L.A. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Los Angeles um, in Westwood Village, kind of around the UCLA neighborhood. Oh, uh, OK. OK. And is, is music something you're always called to? Is it something you always wanted to do? Or was it something that just that came to you eventually? Yeah, no, it was always the biggest thing. I mean, I think my first big musical memory was someone playing Lemon Tree by Peter, Paul and Mary in my nursery school classroom. The cat suddenly jumped in front of me. Um, and I just was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And I just like couldn't get over it. And I wanted my teacher to play it again and again. And 
it was just from then on. It just was something kind of all-consuming for me. Did you start playing in, in uh, pick up an instrument in school? Or how did you get started actually performing? Um, I was always in chorus as soon as some kind of chorus was available to me. Okay. Um, that was sort of my public musical persona. Privately, I always sang. Uh, my parents were really into musicals, musical theater, and I would always sort of sing along to the show tunes that they would put on. And then my dad was also really into music of all kinds. He liked classical music, but in the late 60s and early 70s, he really liked rock and pop. And he would make he would make these tapes of songs that he heard on the local radio stations and I would listen to them when, you know, during the day when he was at work, you know, after school. And I just that's really when I started to fall in love with um, with, uh, you know, me, with music. And I would sing along to this stuff, but I didn't really I mean, it was kind of a private thing until maybe I was in junior high and my dad wanted me to take piano lessons. So he wanted me to learn classical music, but the teacher quickly figured out that I really, it was, I was much happier if she taught me how to play chords on the piano from the guitar tabs in the music book. So, oh, wow. I had my Linda Ronstadt songbook, and she taught me to play all, all the chords, and I could sort of vaguely accompany myself. And from then on, it was something I, I sang a lot. And I still didn't really sing in public except for, you know, in chorus at school Okay. until, I don't know, like, bit by bit gradually, I, I started doing I was really, really shy and embarrassed about it. I didn't really want anyone to know that I did it exactly. I, I can't oh. really lie. So you actually did experience performance anxiety then? Absolutely. And it was really, I mean, the first people that I was really afraid of hearing were my parents. You know, I remember I would play the piano in the house and then, you know, sort of vaguely accompany myself on these Linda Ronstadt songs. And I would sort of sit at the piano and kind of poke at it. And then my mom would leave to run an errand and I would just start banging out the songs and belting at the top <laughs> of my lungs. And then when I could see her out in out of the window to my left coming up the stairs, then I would stop. And, you know, she sang all the time. She was a great singer. She's part of the reason why I sing. She was always singing me bedtime songs and stuff like that. But there was just something about kind of publicly declaring myself a musician that took me an incredibly long time to do. I'm still sort of just doing it. Yeah. <laughs> what really made you go out and perform publicly then? Um, in college, there was so much music around, and I started to just sort of be kind of jealous of people who were, you know, doing singer-songwriter type of things. So even though I was in the chorus, I started to see a lot of sort of small folk acts and acoustic acts, and it occurred to me that I might be able to do that. Oh. So I started to kind of corral some help, and gradually that's how I did it. And then I took guitar lessons, I, you know, basically when I was out of college, when I was 25 or 26. And that's when I started accompanying myself and then playing out. So when you were playing out, were you playing mostly cover songs or had you started writing your own material? <laughs> I started writing my own material um, around the same time I started taking guitar. And it was just this sort of thing where... I felt like I'd listened to so much music that it just started, that it was just sort of this natural thing. Like so much came in that it had to go out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes sense. So at that time I was very big on 
Liz Fair, Jane Sibri, um, a lot of, I've been, been a huge country music fan. So a lot of female country artists and I started writing around then. So around the same time I started playing out, I, I really wanted to not do a lot of covers. I really wanted to do my own song. And were you at this point, were you, were you uh, singing alone or did you have a band that you were involved with? I pretty much started out by myself and Ooh. I start, and then I gradually sort of roped in accompanists to kind of fill out the sound because okay. I'm not the greatest guitar player and it's helpful if I'm screwing up and then somebody can do something flash <laughs> back that I'm screwing up. So that's what I did. And then I've always had, um, my, uh, my good friend Sue Raffman has been singing harmonies with me. She was in the Glee Club with me in college. Oh, and, wow. um, you know, she's kind of all. And then we had a, a trio in college with another woman, Rachel King. And then we um, so we've been singing together really since we were in our, you know, younger than 20. So and to this day, she still sings a lot of harmonies with me. So um, and then sometimes I would do things in with. Uh, I had a, another trio kind of in the 90s with uh, our friend Donna. Um, so so what took you from L.A. to New York? Um, I went to college. I really uh, my, I lived in New York with my parents for a couple of years in the six, late 60s, early 70s. My dad had a job that brought him here and then we went back to L.A. But I loved it so much. I was just determined to come back. It just was like the love, the city was just the love of my life. And so I just really, really wanted to be there. And so I decided that I had to go to college there and I applied to Columbia and got in. So that's, that's what I did. And I never, never left. <laughs> Until you came to New Jersey. Oh, and how did I get to New Jersey? Yeah. How did, you said you'd never, you, you never left, but you, you kind of did a little, you went out, you went out to the suburbs a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, well, I met my now husband and he lived out in the burbs and, you know, uh, he had a son who was a, a kid in school. And, you know, if I wanted to be with those guys, I moved, I had to move to the burbs and it ended up being the greatest thing because as much as New York was the love of my life, I kind of have to say New Jersey is sort of the current locational love of my life. Oh, that's all. Um, it's been pretty, it's been pretty good to me. Well, I think New Jersey gets kind of a bad rap for a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. You know, um, environmentally, everybody's uh, opinion of New Jersey is based on the parkway or the turnpike. So, yes. And that's unfortunate because there's some beautiful areas like where you're at, okay. like in Maplewood. And then, oh, yeah. um, you know, where I lived, I, I lived in Branchburg, um, just outside, just right on the border of Somerset and Hunterdon counties. And it was, you know, farmland and it's just oh, very yeah. rural. And I, most people don't get a chance to see that part of the state. Yeah, yeah. And then there's, there's a great stuff. music scene. Oh, I know. It's amazing. And in a lot of ways, New York, the city is so limited now in terms of what people can do, especially people who are kind of just starting out or aren't as, you know, don't have as big a name. So there's all kinds of things to do and places to play and musical communities um, in New Jersey, all over the state, and then kind of, you know, pocketed in little areas too. But I feel like they're sort of coming together. And even since I moved here, some of my you know, New York slash Brooklyn musical community is kind of merged with my New Jersey musical community. So I kind of feel like it's, it's just kind of all of a piece. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So what was the impetus for your first album? How did um, that come about? 
I had enough songs that I felt like it was time to make a record. And I didn't really sort of know how to go about it. And I asked a bunch of people. I made a couple demos um, with with uh, friends and people who were accompanying me. So I I made a, you know, a cassette demo and then I made a CD demo and I had just gotten to the point where I had enough songs that I wanted to do a whole record and I didn't know what to do. So I asked a friend, so how do I get started? How I, how do I find a producer? And he said, well, go look at all the CDs in your shelf and open them up. And the ones that you like, how they sound just, you know, call that person. And it doesn't matter if they're like an incredibly famous person or not a famous person. And, um, I had just picked up a CD by a singer songwriter named Karen Ramos. And I really, really liked the way it sounded. And I opened it up and I saw that this fellow, Scott Anthony, who I had, who I had known, um, who I'd <laughs> met multiple times, um, had produced it. And so, you know, I asked him to produce it and he did. And now he's my bass player and my husband. <laughs> So I'd say that worked out pretty well for you. Yes, it did. How long did it take you to record it? Was there was a lot of uh, studio time involved? Yeah, well, it was my first record, and we had then we had a studio in the, in our house, and we still do, even though we're in a different house. Um, and that was him sneezing. God bless you. And um, we. Because having a studio in the house is kind of weird because you 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 have the time to do things over and over again. And it being my first record, I wasn't I didn't really know how to sing so well, you know, for I'd only made a few recordings and there was so much singing to do. And so it was so it felt like there was so much at stake committing it to this record that um, I actually, you know, I had to do a lot of takes. And I didn't, it's always been a little bit of a struggle with me, even like when I took voice lessons in college, my voice teacher was like, you're singing the song, but it doesn't seem like you're feeling the song. You're not, you know, so that was something that I kind of had to learn. And I really sort of first learned it making that record. And oh, Scott God. is really good at, um, he's really good at recording singers and kind of coaching them along while they're singing, like you know, you'll do one and you'll think it's really good. And he'll be like, do that again. And you'll do it again. And, you know, you'll see why he asked you to do that because it'll just come out so much better. Or, you know, um, he'll sort of divine that you should be singing in a certain way and then you do, and then it just comes out so much better. So he's really good at that. And, um, but it was a lot of takes for me that time around. And there was a lot of different overdubs different people and it came out great Um, and the second record did too, but it was kind of those experiences a little bit that kind of made this me want this record to be a little simpler. Was there a, a defining moment where you, when you're saying that, like your, your teacher was saying, you're seeing it, but you're not feeling it. And was there a moment when it kind of clicked for you on, on, on how to do that? Or is it something that 
you have to work on every song and it's something different each time. It definitely clicked and it started to click making that first record. It clicked even more making the second one. But the thing that really clicked for me was actually somewhat recently. Um, I've been involved in a number of these sort of tribute shows that are popping up everywhere. And I've had to sing a song that was assigned to me, not really, you know, having picked the song and figure out how to interpret it. And that has kind of changed everything. Um, I was in a Tom Petty tribute show and I had to do a song, which of course I'm forgetting which one it was now. Oh, Face in the Crowd. And it was not my first choice. I love Tom Petty so, 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 so much. That was not my first choice. So (laughs) what a boring song. What is, I don't, you know, I don't, what am I going to do with that song? And in the process of trying to figure out how to interpret it, um, I, you know, I, I just sort of learned a lot. And that was sort of the beginning of the turning point for me. And that was only a couple of years ago, obviously. So your first album came out in 2005, Land of My Baby. And then mm-hmm. the second album, Slow Pokes, came out in 2009. Mm-hmm. The next album is coming out at the end of 2019. Yes. So your 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 gaps are increasing on your releases. Yes. yes, they are. Well, I had to. I we had to make it 10 years. Like I was just totally determined that it was not going to be more than 10 year gap because that would just be awful. <laughs> um, but I started writing the songs as soon as I finished Slowpokes. It's just that they I, I was writing pretty slowly. And a lot of other stuff happened in between. Um, my mom got sick and I had to take care of her. And there was just a lot of, you know, we were, I was helping to raise a teenager and there was just a lot of stuff going on. Um, but the songs were, you know, slowly written during that time. And it's, it's, it's not like you weren't active. So you had a, there, you had a TV show or a show, a Saturday afternoon show. Oh, yeah. Swap. Well, that was that also took up a lot of really, really valuable, great time. Um, I mean, it was what I mean was that it was a great use of time. As soon as I moved to New Jersey, um, you know, I didn't I sort of left my community behind in New York. And Scott was saying, hey, you know, there are these people that live nearby, John Fried and Dina Shoshkas, and they were in this band called the Cucumbers. And he had, he had done, he was a sound guy at Maxwell's and he was like, Oh, I did sound for them. They're really nice. And, um, you should call them. And so we ended up getting together with them and it was a great decision because we hung out and became friends, but also Dina and I started, we, we wanted to create some kind of local musical community thing. So we started this thing called the Saturday afternoon song swap, which is just a performance series that we did in various local cafes and it was like kind of singer songwriters in the round type of thing. We've been doing it, you know, this last year was our 10 year anniversary of doing that. So that was something that was happening all during that time. And we made so many friends and met so many people from around here um, and, you know, really, really kind of grew the community, which was really, really great. In that time, that 10 years, you're still working on these 
songs? I mean, is it something that's, that's just kind of nagging at you or are you, are you actively writing and rewriting and demoing or is it you just put it down for a little while or how, how did the process go from slow pokes to the new wrong way? It was hard because I, you know, I, I guess I sort of always saw myself as a songwriter in the background of my life. I always have had a day job and, and you know, I still do, of course. Um, but I, I, it was nagging at me and I always felt like I had stuff to say and I wasn't sure how to say it. I realized pretty early on when I started doing this when I was much younger that you have to write a ton of bad songs in order to get just one good song. <laughs> and when I was younger, of course, I had more energy, more things were happening to me life moved at a quicker pace. So thus I was writing more bad songs faster <laughs> and thus I could get more good songs quicker. Okay. So well. life kind of slowed down a little bit, which was, I guess, good for me. Um, but it meant that I wasn't kind of writing as much, but you know, so I, it was annoying because I would write less. So the more, the bad songs were more kind of like taking up my time and in my face. <laughs> <laughs> And then, okay. you know, but in between the good ones just sort of started to come out and I just started amassing them. And then around two years ago, it really started to get to me and I, it was hanging over my head and I felt I really have to make another record. I have to finish a bunch of songs and I sped up. And in that process of speeding up a lot of some really good songs were born because oh, I was yeah. really working at it. Okay. So it took, it takes 10 years to write an album Then you go in and my understanding, this is, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it, a lot of these songs on this album are early takes, like first, second yeah. takes. Yeah. And that's, you know, I just chalk that up to the fact that I was really ready. <laughs> I've done a lot of singing in the last 10 years. Um, so I've gotten, I think, a lot better, not at singing per se, but at um, sort of like the technique of it, like, you know, breathing. And it was sort of not as hard for me to, I didn't have to do as many takes because I was sort okay. of kind of, uh, kind of confident uh, out of the gate. And then it was also, um, you know, it was, we were working, uh, with a really good band and they were very, you know, they really helped a lot too. Cause I felt super comfortable with them. Oh, that helps a lot. Yeah. So basically, this the story of this album is wait, 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 hurry, go, 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 go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's maybe that's one reason why I like this whole story is because it reminds me of that's that pretty much mirrors my life at this point. Oh really? Oh, wow. just waiting, 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 and then all of a sudden, once something hits, it's you go, 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 got to get it done now. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's one reason why I really like the story of this album. I also <laughs> like. The uh, choice of covers that you did, you, you've got, I think it's 11 originals and two covers. I have, I, oh, no, I have one cover, right? I have the... Um, you did the uh, Anita How Odette. am I not remembering this? That's embarrassing. <laughs> There's uh, the... two covers, you're absolutely right. I have the Anita O'Day, the um, Tenderly. The evening breeze caress the The trembling trees embrace the breeze tenderly. Then 
Yes. And then I have the Bee Gees song. Which, so tell me a little bit about Anita O'Day. What is it that uh, that, that hit you with her? Because I was reading a little bit in, in doing my research for this show, and it something with her really struck a chord with you. Yeah, you know, I well, I've always loved, while, while leading a very, very... Um, you know, non-wild life. I've always loved books about people who just go off the rails. (laughs) (laughs) I love reading, um, you know, books about people who are battling, you know, mental health issues or addiction and, you know, how they came out of it. Um, It just, I get a lot of strength just hearing these stories. So, uh, a friend, my friend Dan Baker lent me, I think, I think the story was that he lent me her autobiography. I had mentioned that I liked her. There was this really cool record store that used to be in the 42nd street subway station. It's okay. still there. It used to be a lot cooler than it was. Um, <laughs> and they just had all kinds of jazz CDs and types of CDs, types of music that I wouldn't ordinarily, um, gravitate to like a lot of non rock stuff. And I would go in there and I would just sort of try to pick something jazzy or something interesting or some vocalist that looked interesting to me, even if I didn't know too much about them and just really like judge a book by its cover and buy the CD and try to learn something from it. And so I found this Anita O'Day sings the most and I really love that record. And then I guess I must have mentioned it to Dan. So he lent me this book and she definitely had a really crazy life, but she just kept going and going and going. And, um, her style of singing was really, I think, unique. She didn't really sound like a lot of other people. Um, and so she kind of maintained this really unique voice in the midst of a completely crazy life. And is there any significance behind, uh, behind picking the track tenderly? Yeah, I just, that was my favorite song on that record that I had. I used to listen to it a lot. Um, and that was the one that stood out to me. And so it was also short and I had this idea of writing a song about her and then tacking a song on the end that I knew from, that I learned off of that record. Um, and that one was nice and short. So. And then you picked the Bee Gees song, Sun in my morning. That was because I don't even, I did not know that song. I've always been a huge Bee Gees fan, but I'm kind of more of a jive talking era kind of Bee Gees person. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, my husband and I, when we um, moved in together, we each had a ton of 45s. And we, one of the most fun things that we, that we did when we moved in together was merging all of our music and seeing what we had doubles of and seeing like crazy stuff that we would never expect to live in a house with. (laughs) Um, But going through the 45s, he found this 45 and, you know, I guess he wasn't, he, I'm not sure if he knew where it came from or maybe he did, but I had never seen it before and I didn't know this song and we put it on and it was just so beautiful and then we kind of, I had done a cover of it uh, at, at a show. I'd done it once or twice. And then when it came an, around to making the record, Rich Ferriden, who played guitar on the record, said, you know, we really should do that song. And I was like, oh, okay. And then we ended up doing it, and it was totally great. It is brilliant. I absolutely oh, love it. Thank you. 
the guitar, the tone on the guitar is amazing. Yeah, that's rich. And he, um, when we, we recorded part of the album in Memphis at, um, Arden Studios and we bought Arden Studios. Yeah. We, um, we'd been spending time in Memphis. My, um, stepson was going to college down South and we'd been to Memphis and really loved it. And we'd visited Arden because I just wanted to go there and soak up the big star vibe. Yeah. But we really kind of fell in love with it and, it. and it was actually kind of like a reasonable thing to do to go there and record a couple uh, part of the record there. So um, and he borrowed he didn't want to fly with his guitar. So he borrowed an amazing vintage Gibson from some friends down there. And um, that's the sound of that record. It's Robert Mache's amazing Gibson guitar. And I don't, I gotta say, I don't blame him for not wanting to travel with his guitar. I've seen some of these yeah. videos where the guys looking outside the, the plane window and he sees like his, his guitar case in pieces going inside of the plane. Oh, yeah. So that, that fear gave birth to that beautiful guitar solo. <laughs> well, and the harmonies in, in your version are absolutely beautiful. They're angelic. I love it. And that's Sue. And that's, you know, she's just a brilliant, brilliant harmony singer. The and the originals are great too. Water shoes. Water shoes is a great song. Tell me, yeah, there's a little story behind that, I believe, right? Yeah, it's um, I went. We have the, Dina and John, who are the people who we do the Saturday afternoon song swap with. They're just the nicest people in the world, and we went to visit them um, in Vermont, and we went swimming in this sort of swimming hole, and. I didn't have any water shoes, and so I borrowed <laughs> Tina's water shoes. And then, you know, um, they were having a birthday. Their birthdays are very close together, and I wanted to write a song for them. And I didn't really know what to write about. And Scott said, oh, why don't you just write about the time we went swimming with them, and you borrowed their Dina's water shoes. And so that's really how that song was born. And, and then it just ended up being about them and also, you know, those kinds of friendships that are just very easy, and you sort of, you can't believe that, like, these people are, who are so nice are actually like you back, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I actually know, I've got a couple of those, too. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's one reason why it resonates with me. Yeah, there's a great a, a country vibe to the to the album, but there's the very first song, "Living Rock." I love that because that's oh, thank you. That's a little more bluesy, almost dirtier sounding than a lot of the other tracks on the album. Yeah. Now, why is that one so different? I don't know. Um, you know, I think part of it comes from, uh, again, you know, the band that I've been working with, Sim, who is the drummer that I've been playing with. I mean, he's he's a really amazing singer songwriter drummer, and he has like a great light touch, and he's so lyrical. But he had, he had, he was in the Rollins band. That's tr- oh yeah, that's true. So you know, um, and then. Rich, my guitar player is just fair. Also, he can just completely rock out in a stonesy way. And I think at the time that I wrote that song, I might have started to be doing, I might have started doing some gigs with them, but 
And so that might have given me the confidence, but I've always, you know, loved stones. I'm like a real stones person. And I just, uh, you know, I've, I've always wanted to write a song. To me, you know, I love all kinds of music, but I, if I really have to look back at a lot of my super favorite songs over the years, there are these really rocky, short, very bluesy, kind of like mind-bending songs, <laughs> um, like Finding Out by Tom Petty, um, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. So I I guess I, I just had that song in me, and the riff sort of developed, and Scott, play, who plays bass in the song, he, you know, he was a part of also of developing that riff in that song. And it just, it just kind of came out. And I, the topic was something that I really, really wanted to write about. And that is music being kind of a life-saving thing. And the, the il- illustrations in the song are sort of events wherein music kind of saved me um, and, or made a bad situation better. And okay. it's sort of an ode to that sort of life-changing power of music. And when I think back to those types of songs like that, that I would blast in my headphones when I was in high school, it, it's an ode to how those types of songs in particular, I think, have have saved me over the years. Well, it, it seems like it's a really great example then of what you were talking about got you singing in the first place. You were ingesting all this stuff and it finally just, some of it had to come out. Yep, yep, yep. So you were ingesting all this rock, bluesy rock stuff, the stones, and it, one of those things just had to come out and it, it became yeah. living rock. I'm really glad that it came out. <laughs> I try to write more songs like that. I, I, it this kind of surprised some people. Like um, my friend Philip, when he heard it for the first time, he's like, he said, "It's like you're fronting mountain." <laughs> That's awesome! I didn't think about yeah. it. That's great. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I would like to write more songs like that, but um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. It was such a short song, but so powerful. So I don't, I don't. I have to, you know, you have to kind of set your mental stage to write songs. You have to like prepare. You have to have the door be open. Okay. Um, and you can't try too hard, but you can't not try either. Yeah. So I hope another thing like that comes along sometime, just because it's super fun to play. Now tell me a little bit about the song Sawtell. I know there's a pattern in there. Can you tell me a little oh. bit about what that's about? Yeah, um, Scott is a Kundalini yoga teacher, and there's um, a mantra that uh, you do in Kundalini yoga. It's very, very relaxing. Um, you say Satanama, and a lot of the mantras involved in Kundalini involve those sounds. And we had this idea to try to write a song um, that used the consonant sounds of that mantra and then kind of rotated them. So we picked words that started with those consonants, and then we kind of rotate them line by line. And at first, it was all kind of nonsensical. And I'm not saying that it actually makes a ton of sense right now. (laughs) It makes more sense than we thought it would when we started. And it kind of like tells a little bit of a story. Oh, my gosh. A cat just left over. That was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy, wasn't it? I, I saw a big flash of white. I thought you got struck by lightning or something. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was an orange, a light orange cat. <laughs> now, is there going to be uh, tours for this for the album, or are you going to be playing with a live band, or is it just going to be you, or how are you planning on supporting the album with with live shows? The first thing, well, uh, we're 
We have a, the big record release show is November 6th at Little City Books. This is an independent bookstore slash musical venue in Hoboken at seven o'clock. And John and Dina um, of Saturday Afternoon Song Swap and Water Shoes fame will be opening the show. Awesome. So that's kind of the big thing that we have planned right now. I'm doing a, a show in and that's the full band show with Sim and Rich. Oh, and, cool. and then you guys tomorrow, do some Rollins covers. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm nothing against them. It's just I don't know that they would be. I'm capable of doing them. So, um, and then tomorrow I'm doing a duo. We're doing a duo. Well, a trio because Sue's singing with us in um, Hillsboro. Um, our friends Alexis and Ray, who have the band Naughty Clouds, um, have arranged a songwriter night in a cafe out there. And Lizzie Edwards, who's a great female vocalist, will also be playing. So we're kind of just seeing what comes our way. Um, we did actually just go on a vacation slash mini I really wouldn't call it a mini tour, but we went to um, on a vacation to England and we played we played two gigs there. Oh, cool. Which was, which was great because um, we have friends there who are also musicians. And so we decided to put something when we were up together when we were there. So and that we definitely want to do again because the audiences there really love the type of music that that we do. I think. If you could make it into, into different areas, like I really think in, in my area, like the uh -huh. Northern Virginia, Winchester area, it would it would go over really well. So kind of on a, on a personal note, I like to ask this sometimes, is there anything in your music library that I might find surprising? Like any Norwegian black metal, maybe, maybe some Rollins? <laughs> um, let me gaze over towards my CD shelf and see <laughs> if I see anything that really sticks out. Well, I'm, I'm a huge, huge country music fan and I've been through periods in my life where, um, I've been more appreciative of mainstream country music than other periods. So like there was a time when I would actually listen to country radio and be really, really into it. Okay. Um, okay. and I, for example, I love Carrie Underwood and I have, um, a deep, deep relationship with the song Jesus Take the Wheel, which I think is one of the most perfect songs ever written. And, you know, I'm Jewish. Okay. Well, there <laughs> and you go. I just think it is the most perfect song on earth, and I completely relate to it. Um, and there's another song that she has called Flat on the Floor, which is, I think, from her second record, which is just the greatest song for when you're in a, an angry mood. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, not everybody can appreciate her. She's definitely, you know, she's definitely like super mainstream, but yeah. she is an amazing, amazing voice. And she's, she you know, really she's done duets with Miranda Lambert, who is my kind of another hero of mine, but I don't, I'm not as, I don't, it's not that surprising that I would like Miranda cause she's definitely more in the outlaw country. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I don't know tons of newer country artists, but I am familiar with both of those ladies and I would yeah. definitely agree with, with that take on that. I don't have any, um, yeah, I mean, I don't see, I was going to say I don't have any Garth Brooks, but I wouldn't want to do that because I love Trish Yearwood who is married to him. And, um, I got a great show on food network, by the way. I love that show. That is my favorite show of all time. <laughs> I will go, I will just, when, whenever I have a free moment, I will just watch that show. Oh, um, 
My just wife because I it. love her and I love that. I just love that show. And she's, she's so funny. And then there's sometimes she sings yep. and she has like, um, Kelly Clarkson was on and they sang. And I mean, it's just the greatest show. And Garth and shows up every once in a while. Too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good food. And, and her husband shows up every once in a while. Yes. Yeah. Garth shows up and, you know, she talks a lot about Garth and what he likes and what he doesn't like. And, um, in general, I, I have more female, country artists in my collection than men. So the fact that I have no Garth, I guess it's just because I'm a little sexist when it comes to country music. Hey, they, well, you know, look, I'm going to say right that, that I can understand it. There's, I don't see anything wrong with that. You like what you like. Yeah. <laughs> so the new album is called The New Wrong Way. Is there any yeah. uh, significance to the title? Um, well, when we were playing that BG song at a show, we had, when we recorded it, in Memphis, we had recorded it slightly wrong. There was, you know, we came in a little earlier late and on one line and repeated something that we maybe shouldn't have repeated it. So we decided to do the song. We were a couple of months after that, we were doing a show and we started to started to do the song and Sue turned to me and she said, okay, are we doing this the right way or the new wrong way? <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, I said, we're doing it the new wrong way. And, um, our friend Alex came up to us after the show and he said, you have to use that name for something. You, it's either going to be a song or you have to call the album that or something like that. So I fully, I credit, I credit Alex and I credit Sue. I do not give Sue enough credit for that because she was the one who actually said it the first time. So Sue, thank you so much. It's it's a great title. I love it. And yeah, kind of like it also um, sort of reflects a, a larger theme of the record. I think, at least in my head, you know, the ten years that elapsed and being older and just kind of attempting to give it my all, even if it doesn't come out great. Because, you know, it's sort of now's the time. Um, and so that's sort of, you know, if I make a mistake, I just kind of like try to keep going. And that's the new wrong way. Well, I love it. I love it. Where can people find the album? Well, it's going to come out November 6th. Um, we made CDs and we made vinyl because oh, nice. vinyl is mostly what we listen to here at home. And I, I couldn't not do it because that's all I listen to. So it would just be weird. Yeah. <laughs> make vinyl. So, um and it'll it'll be available November 6th. And you can go to my website, uh, RebeccaTurner.net, and click the music tab. And uh, you can pre-order stuff now. Oh, good. And then, of course, I will be on all the usual streaming platforms. And I heard this year for the first time in decades that vinyl's uh, outpacing CD sales. Yeah, it is. That's amazing. And yeah, it's it's really, really exciting because I just love the large size format. I love holding it in my hands, um, looking at all the pictures and That's me. That is me to a T. If I can't yep. if I can't hold it, I don't feel like I own it. Yes. I know. So it's I, it's weird. Because I do listen to I mean at work I'll listen to a lot of stuff streaming, but you know, I'll find myself wanting to even with something i know you know i'll be thinking oh i wonder who's playing guitar on that and then i'll have to google it yeah i can't rest until i have figured stuff like that out that is i'm the exact same way and, and that's some of the, my favorite bands that's how i found them is reading the liner notes on either cd or, or vinyl cover mm -hmm. and today 
we saw Peter Case of the Plimsolls, who was my favorite band of my youth, and he's touring around as a solo artist now. And we saw him last night in Jersey City. And then I was listening to him today, and I just kept having to look up who who he was playing with on all these on all these albums because. Unfortunately, I kind of lost track of him at, at some point, and I don't have those records, so I listen to them streaming. But I, as soon as possible, I'm going to be buying them because I want to support him. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And do you have any social media accounts where people can follow where you'll be playing or anything that any new that's coming up? Oh, on my Spotify page, and it pulls in my um, show dates, and then also on my website, it'll. Pull them in from Facebook too. Okay. Are you on Instagram or Twitter or any of those? I am on Instagram, Rebecca Momo. Um, Twitter, I'm on Twitter, Rebecca Moreen, B E C K A M O R E E N. My middle name is Maureen. Okay. Um, and, uh, but I have not tweeted a whole bunch yet, but it's you're not worth it. Yeah, I should. <laughs> It's not worth it. Don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> I think it's kind of a necessary evil, I suppose. And um, I do like Instagram a lot. Oh, so I'm, I love I'm definitely it Instagramming a lot more than I was. I've taken up a whole bunch of your evening. Thank you so much for spending so much time with me tonight and telling me these great stories about the album. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You're a really, really great interviewer. You ask a lot of great questions. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I keep all that stuff in every show. So yeah, all my compliments get published okay well <laughs> for it. i could go on i mean i could say more nice oh, things please please yeah <laughs> thank you again so much it's been a blast april and the snow decided to melt we're outside now despite the chill we felt a little flood It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.